0: All right, welcome to the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. My name is Todd. I'm here with my friend Alyssa, and we're going to talk about something I am not qualified to talk about. It's a long list, and Alyssa has the internet, so hit me. We've we, we were talking about like pink hair. Like uh-huh. that's pink hair is fine. I don't know anything about it, but anyway,
1: <laughs> I currently have some pink hair. You currently have pink um, hair. Yeah. What? Tourist attraction gets taller in the summer.
0: What tourist attraction gets taller in the summer? What tourist attraction gets taller in the summer. Hmm.
1: European Euro- tourist attraction. Okay, so you're that okay. Helps.
0: So we're narrowing the field down. <clears throat> I'm trying to think of like what European tourist attractions I even know about. Um. So like in England, there would be like Big Ben. There'd be Vatican City, right? That would be, I, I'm just spitballing here watching your eyes to see if there's any reaction. <laughs> um, There'd be the Eiffel Tower. That would be one that's, uh, you get a good poker face. I'm going to say. Hmm, gets taller. I don't think anybody really cares. Nobody cares about Europe. America <laughs> first. <laughs> All right, tell me, I'm stumped.
1: The Eiffel Tower. Dang it! I was going to say um, the Eiffel Tower. It can get up to six inches taller due to thermal expansion in the summer. Oh man!
0: Dang it! Should have said something. All right, the Eiffel Tower. You want to go play cook poker? No. Yeah, yeah. You got a you got a good poker face. No, I, I um. <clears throat> I learned a lesson about gambling. This is a, a side uh, side quest here. Um, my dad told me uh, when it came to gambling, take the take the amount of money you would spend on a normal night out, twenty bucks, fifty bucks, whatever it is for you, hundred bucks. If you're, you know, the upper crust and you spend a thousand dollars on a night out, take that, and go gambling. And when it's gone, you had a good time. Mm-hmm. And I did not follow my father's advice when I was on the road learning how to be a truck driver. OK, so I'm 23 or so <clears throat> and uh, got to Sparks, Nevada. And I mean, broke, broke, right? Trying to enter a new career, pay the bills, transitioning, all that stuff. And um, had my laundry money. And I went into the casino in Sparks, Nevada. And I was playing the nickel slot machine because I'm broke. And <laughs> after a while, I got I got up. I mean, I had like 30 bucks, and I was like, I'm getting a steak dinner, and I'm doing my laundry. And then I started to lose. And then that, that thing kicks in where you're like, I have to gain back, because now 30 was my new 10. And I gambled oh. away all of my laundry money for the week and had to wear dirty clothes all week. Like taking clothes out of my bag that I had previously put back in the bag because they had been worn. Oh, I hate that. It was. It was. Yeah. It was. It. It solved me of any desire to gamble, or cured me. I guess is the solved.
1: Always leave when you're up.
0: Yeah. Always leave when you're up. Yeah. But you never know when you're up, right? It's like the stock market. Do I sell? Do I buy? Do I hold? (laughs) You never know. Something I do know a little bit about is uh, biblical studies stuff. I've uh, gone to school for that, done that for a while. And um, we've been talking about Romans at church. And Romans is one of those books of the Bible that is just um, <clears throat> like if you want to really kind of understand what Christian theology is, the book of Romans is, is a good place to hang out, right? Because the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that he hasn't visited Okay, he hasn't been there. He knows some people there, but what he's trying to do is explain to them what he's been teaching about Jesus. And he's doing it in a way that is it's more systematic than some. A lot of letters in the New Testament are intended to solve problems. So a church will write a letter to Paul, and they'll say, hey, we're struggling with this problem. Uh, Corinthians is probably a great example because the city of Corinth was Uh, It was kind of like Vegas, the Vegas of the day, a lot of um, uh, things going on there. Um, And so Paul was writing to help solve some problems in the church. And so you can sort of piece together the letter that they wrote to him by his response that deals with different problems. There could be some problems in Rome. One of the problems that could be happening in Rome is the Jewish-Gentile unity in the church question. So Jewish people are people who are um, from the nation, the ancient nation of Israel. Uh Uh-oh. Did you lose me? Yeah. This keeps happening. Okay, pause this. So uh, what Paul is doing is he's writing about Jewish-Gentile unity in the church in Rome, and that's if there's an issue in Rome... That's probably the issue, because the Jewish people have been taught pretty much from birth to avoid the non-Jewish people, to avoid the Gentiles, because they were unclean. You never knew what a Gentile had touched or eaten or what they had done, and the Jews were very, very concerned to keep that purity before God. And that, you know, unfortunately, that kind of happens in the church sometimes, that church people get so concerned about purity that they never interact Mm -hmm. with people who are sinners and thus they never really have any impact or outreach in their community. Right. Um, right. And that's, that's something we have to kind of be, we have to kind of resist in our minds so that we're like, okay, if, if you saw me, I don't know, um, coming out of a bar, what would you think?
1: That you went and had some bar food.
0: That I went and had some bar food. Right. Or I met, I met somebody there for, you know, to, to talk to him. Right. And I was just interacting with people. That's part of what I'm, uh, part of my employment, part of my ministry and mission in the world is to interact with people who need Jesus. Are those people always in church? No. People who need Jesus are out in the world. That was something that happened when I was on the road. Uh, So I used to be a truck driver. Anybody who's listening to this podcast, mom, uh, knows this, right? Mom and your husband. Um, And you know, for a while, I was both a truck driver and an ordained minister. And I looked at the word ministry, and I said, it's a verb. So I'm just going to verb as best I can while I'm on the road. And so I interacted with all kinds of people. And when they found out I was a pastor, almost without fail, they would apologize for the bad language that they used. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I was a sailor before I was a truck driver before I was a pastor. You you don't know a word that's going to hurt my feelings. Or make me think right. less of you, right? Because if you're not a follower of Jesus, then... I want to help you get there. How do I help you get there if I'm fussing about your language? Or, right. you know, somebody who's smoking or vaping or drunk or high, you know, that all these people need Jesus. and How do we um, connect with them if we can't be around them ever? Um, so, yeah, that's maybe that's a pet peeve, right? So Paul's writing to the church in Rome about Jewish-Gentile unity, and the Jews are famous for avoiding Gentiles, just like church people are famous for avoiding um, things that could damage their reputation often with other Christians. And that's we have to be careful about that. So um, but the other thing Paul's doing is he's writing very systematically. He starts with the idea of sin before he gets to the idea of salvation. And in that idea of salvation, he he's talking about how um, God is righteous. God is right. And we can be right as well if we trust in Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross for us. And, um, you know, that's where like even those terms, right? What Jesus did on the cross for us. Think about that from somebody who's never experienced church, the Bible, or any of that. What does that communicate to them? Mm -hmm. Who are we talking about? Who's Jesus? Mm
1: -hmm. What
0: is the cross and what did he do there? And so there are a number of different pictures that Paul includes in Romans that talk about what it looks like to um, become a Christian, to be saved. And one of the pictures is being released from the slave market of sin. And so this was a common picture in in the New Testament times that people would get uh, captured or fall into debt, and they would sell themselves into slavery. And a relative could come along and say, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to buy you out of slavery to set you free. And that's a picture of what salvation looks like. When you trust in Jesus, you're being purchased from slavery to sin to be set free, transferred into a new kingdom. Another picture is a religious picture where sin, uh, wrongdoing, um, missing God's standard of holiness has to be paid for in some way. And in the Old Testament, it was paid for by the high priest with the blood of an animal. And Hebrews makes very clear that in the New Testament, what Jesus did theologically is acting as the high priest. He went into the presence of God with his own blood, and that is a payment uh, for the problem of sin. It wipes away or covers over our sin problem. And what that also does, like, there's this exchange, right? There's this exchange of our unrighteousness for Christ's righteousness in God's eyes. Mm-hmm. That's what being justified means. So justified and righteousness are two very similar words. But when you um, <clears throat> when you look for a modern analogy, something that kind of works in our time, maybe a little more than a high priest and a sacrifice, right?
1: Because mm-hmm.
0: um, we're not really running around sacrificing anything at this point. Um, right, right. The picture that really works well in our time is that of a courtroom where you have committed a crime, you are before the judge, you are guilty. The judge says, here's the penalty, and it's this impossible amount that you can't pay. But then the judge comes down and says, I'm going to pay this penalty for you. And so God is the one who is releasing us from sin through what his son did on the cross, right? For all these different Mm -hmm. pictures, taking a look at it from different angles, So that we can then enter into this new restored relationship with God. And when God describes that in chapters 5 through 8, it's really, I was talking to somebody yesterday, you know, we're going to get to like the do section. Romans 12 is a do, like 12 to 15. It's all about stuff that you're supposed to do. But a lot of times pastors start with the do, or they start with ethics, and they don't start with identity. Romans 5 to 8 is all about your identity. Once you mm-hmm. have made this profession of faith, once you believe these things, um, what's true about you in this new restored relationship to God? Well, I love Romans five one. It starts off by saying you have peace with God, and that mm-hmm. to me is just like wow, um, <clears throat> because it's it's kind of objective. It's there. It's it's not if right. It's not if you behave well, you'll have peace with God. It's no, you have peace with God. The, the war is over. Sin is uh, paid for. Uh, your relationship is secure. God loves you. It talks about Romans five. Talks about standing in His grace. So you are standing in a position of favor, right? And so you can imagine it in a number of, of different ways. Imagine you're at a banquet. Um, <laughs> I've been I've made some diet changes, right? <clears throat> so banquets are <laughs> like forefront of my mind. Um, and Oreos, like right there. A friend of mine said, oh, yeah, your gut biome will, will change and you won't even think about Oreos. Nope, not going to happen. No. Me and Oreos have a mm-hmm. long-time love affair. Um, But in this new relationship to God, it's really easy to get stuck on performance and not identity. And so Romans 5 to 8 is so important for just kind of going back and thinking and starting from identity. And So I was talking to somebody on Sunday, and she said, I finally get it. It's like, yeah, you get it. Like, you have this firm foundation, this standing of love, this position where you're accepted and God loves you. Now let's talk about what to do, right? Not to achieve something, not so that you look good in front of your neighbors, not n- n- none of that stuff, because you always have to come back to identity before you get into activity. And I think that's something in modern culture, <clears throat> that a lot of our young people are really missing because how much of identity is tied up in what you do? Um, you're, you're a lot younger than I am, but how much of our, <clears throat> you know, what, what, what's the generation we're working on now? It's not millennials, Gen Z, the Gen Z's, you know,
1: Gens, well, the, my kids are like Gen Alpha.
0: Oh, Gen Alpha. We're all, all the way back full circle Gen Alpha. Mm-hmm. Um, gen z's are the ones who are technically adults right
1: they are yeah like they're adults till high school
0: yeah so when your identity is really forming right so Mm -hmm. what what how do they identify themselves what is the gen z identity
1: i don't know i'm not one (laughs) (laughs) yeah i
0: don't know i'm not one i think gen z is really struggling with identity because they've They've been told to look for something subjective within themselves, find your true self, all this other stuff. And when you look internally, you get kind of caught in the circle, right? They don't look to what their parents help them or grandparents teach them. They don't look for those things. They're looking for the new and the novel. The problem with the new and the novel is that it, it's untested and it doesn't always work very well. So Mm, they're finding the old stuff now, too. Yeah, I think that's what's cool. So it's actually coming full circle to where ancient wisdom is having like this resurgence. So, yes, please go look deep within yourself. Uh, I think Augustine did this. Augustine is is a Christian from the four, like three and four hundreds. And he experimented with like every philosophy under the sun. Like, he was trying to figure out, like, what's the way to have a right relationship to God? And he went he he tried everything. And his mother was a Christian who just prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him. And Augustine was in the garden one day, and he heard a child singing. Pick it up and read. Pick it up and read. It was in Latin, of course. Uh, Tole (laughs) lege. Tole lege. So he he, I actually reread it this week. And he, um, he says, I've never heard a child sing that. Right. So he's just fascinated by like for him, he sees that this is God working through this random kid singing and he picks up the Bible. You know what book he opens it up to? Romans. Romans. Yeah, Romans. (laughs) And he goes to Romans 13, which is probably like you should have probably started at the beginning and get the whole context, man. But um, he just like through Christ. And right in that moment, he becomes a believer. And then from that moment, he he then goes to write and preach. They actually made him the bishop, okay, of, of the city. This is back in the day when if you were if people really felt like you were um, qualified, they would just be like, "Hey, uh, we have a new job for you. You're going to be the bishop," and they just kind of put him in that position, uh, almost against his will. So. <clears throat> Romans is really identity first and then activity. and So we we've kind of finished up the, act, the majority of that um, transformation, sanctification section, Romans 5 through 8. And we've been talking about Romans 9 through 11. And Romans 9 through 11 deals with an important question for the Jewish Gentile church in Rome. If the Jews are God's chosen people, how is it that Gentiles— now have access to God through Jesus, that doesn't seem fair. And so in chapter 9, Paul goes through and he really just kind of lays it out. He's like, look, God has always been about everybody coming into a relationship with him. And that's that's kind of earth-shaking for the Jewish people. Because for them, these people they've been trying to avoid, these outsiders, these non-Jews, are now... Mm -hmm. able to come to God. Thankfully, like, Paul got it, because Paul, in his life, he was very much, very into that system, very wrapped up in being a Jew. And so in Romans 10, what he starts off with, and Romans 10 is all about just kind of coming back to the gospel is the way that people get right with God. Mm -hmm. And even there, right? Like... I use the word gospel, and it communicates between you and me, and maybe between somebody who's listening, but what does it mean to somebody who's never heard it, to somebody who's never experienced it, to somebody who's never been to church? That's one of Mm -hmm. the hardest things that I do when I preach, is try to go through and think from that perspective. If somebody's never been to church or never been part of our tradition, how would this idea hit them? And so the gospel is kind of a shorthand for the good news, the message about Jesus, that you can have a restored relationship to God by trusting in what Jesus did and who he is. Now, what he did is he died on the cross, right? Mm -hmm. And the cross involved the shedding of his blood. And theologically, it goes back to those pictures that he, acting as a priest, voluntarily shed his blood so that by trusting that, right, his death, Takes the place for my death. So I am a guilty Mm -hmm. sinner. I trust him. uh, Because I'm trusting in his death as my substitute. Now God looks at that and says, Oh, I see that you're covered over by this, not by your own um, wrongdoing and sin. That's where I use wrongdoing for sin a lot, right? Because I'm trying to communicate Mm -hmm. to people who don't know what sin is. And so Paul in Romans 10 starts off this way. Brothers, and s- brothers, my heart's desire. Now, in the NIV, it's going to be brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Okay, so, like, right out the gate, someone who has never experienced the Bible, has no background, would say, okay, brothers and sisters, is he talking to his family? No. Mm -hmm. For him, and this is what keeps pastors employed, right, explaining ideas? (laughs) Brothers and sisters is how Paul views his people. So... Mm -hmm. In Jewish culture, he's going to have a number of different connections. There's his nuclear family if he's married with kids. That's a nuclear family. But Mm -hmm. Paul is also connected to his um, father's house. His Beth Av is the Hebrew for it. So the Beth Av is the father's house. He's connected to this larger network. Where at the top, there's probably grandpa and then parents and then children and then even grandchildren or great-grandchildren. It's this whole unit that sits and works together, about 100 people or so. But that Beth Av is connected to a larger unit called the Mishpacha, And so the Mishpacha is going to be a, you know, grandpa's brothers who now have their own Beth Av. So You have this group of Beth Avs and this Mishpacha, short of a tribe, but sort <laughs> of the unit that you kind of like it's a larger unit that you work with. And then mm-hmm. you have a tribe and then you have a nation. So all of right. those connections, when Paul sees those connections, he says, brothers and sisters, he's talking about the Jewish people. Um, And he makes that explicit when he says the Israelites, the people of Israel, the nation may be saved. Now, the word saved, um, you can use the word rescued there, right? Because Paul views being in sin as a place of danger, okay? (laughs) That if you are in sin, if you are without forgiveness and without rescue, then you are in danger of being separated from God eternally. And so he's like, well, that's a, that's a big problem. To be separated from God eternally, um, that's what we mean by hell, okay? Um, <clears throat> and there's a lot of different discussions and, and concerns about hell. But if you think about the flip side of it, right? Being present with God, okay? Being absent from God. Well, I would much rather be present with him than be absent from him, okay? Right. Um, <clears throat> and that's what saved looks like for Paul. And so what happens to me, uh, so during the week, I, so I'm already thinking it's Monday, so technically day off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm already thinking about Romans 11, because it's like, okay, that's right. next week. We want to finish that. We want to finish this whole section well, and so we can move on. Um, because we're under this time crunch, because if we don't finish by Palm Sunday, then uh, the earth will explode. Because
1: uh. Valentine's Day is Ash Wednesday. <clears throat>
0: oh, really? Yeah, okay. Uh, and, and Easter is early this year, so I feel this pressure to yep. get, get through Romans, um, even though it could, you know, I have a friend who uh, spent two years in Romans. And I, I think that's a long time.
1: Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. So we'll do about 18 to 20 sermons? 20 sermons? I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Saved. So I got lost in the research about saved because when I think about saved from a place of danger, I think about a place of danger. What, for you, would be the most dangerous place you can think of?
1: Depends on what kind of danger you're talking about, but... Okay. Did you lose me? No.
0: Okay. Place of danger.
1: Place of danger. I'm playing crickets. I mean, a pit of snakes is
0: what.
1: Pit of snakes. I thought of. Okay.
0: <laughs> so, a, you know, a, about to be thrown into a pit of snakes would be the the ultimate danger for you. Uh, that would be pretty dangerous, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, Indy got through it.
1: That's what I was thinking of.
0: Yeah. Um, I think a lot of our literature and movies, like the hero gets into a place of danger, but then he's rescued or he rescues himself, right? When I think about a place of danger, I go to submarines, okay? Um, (laughs) Because if you are on a sunken submarine, there is nothing that you can do to help yourself. Someone has to come get you. And submarines, by their very nature, are made to be hard to find, Mm -hmm. right? And so um, in, the, in the research, you can go back to the 1860s with the CSS Hunley. The first successful attack on a surface ship was by, by a submarine, was in 1864. And um, they used what's called a spar torpedo. So an explosive charge on the end of a stick attached to your submarine. And they basically oh. ran it into this warship and sank it, right? Um, the problem is that the explosion probably killed everybody in the submarine. And right. then it drifted out to sea. And then the sea. ship,
1: like, came down. <laughs> well,
0: it actually kind of drifted out to sea and sank, and they found it uh, in 1970. But <clears throat> sometimes when a submarine goes down, there's this space of time between when you know you can't get back to the surface and the mm-hmm. oxygen runs out. And that is a position, I think, of ultimate peril. And it's happened a couple of times. <clears throat> um, I, I don't. I didn't have an example of... Uh, okay, here's a question for you. Here's a trivia. Did, I don't know. Did you listen to Sunday's sermon? No. Oh, good. Perfect. <laughs> when is the thinking of, of the world in general, when was the last time a military submarine, what year went down with all hands? Military. Military, not American.
1: Okay. Um sometime I don't know. Sometime in the last twenty years, probably.
0: Okay, last twenty years? Twenty twenty one. 2020 I was
1: going to say 2020.
0: So <clears throat> yeah, 2020 when everything bad happened, um, right? Yeah, um, 2020. There's an Indian, uh, Indonesian submarine, the Nangala. Um, something happened. They lost control of something, and um, the submarine sank down to crush depth, and the sub was it was crushed. Like everybody died. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but there's this period of time between when it's going down and when it's crushed that everybody knows that they're in bad trouble. Mm-hmm. And in 1939, this was the first successful rescue of people trapped on a sunken submarine. And there were a number of things that really had to line up for it to happen. They had to know that the submarine was missing. They had to know its mm-hmm. location. They had to, mm-hmm. somebody had to figure out its loca- like where it was. And right. what happened was the submarine went down uh, on a test dive and it had gone through 18 successful test dives. On the 19th dive, a valve failed and flooded about half the submarine, killing 26 guys pretty much at the gate. Then it's sitting on the ocean floor, kind of tail first, because that's where all the water is, and they can't uh-huh. get out. <clears throat> and so another submarine happened to be close by. And the, when the Navy realized that they hadn't sent in their radio message, they sent the submarine to go try and find them. The uh submarine rescue ship happened to be close enough that they could go. It happened yep. to have the right equipment. I mean, this is the 1930s, uh-huh. right? <coughs> um, they were able to get the the diving bell, the submarine rescue chamber attached to the forward hatch and start getting guys out. Now that took um it took more than a day, slightly more than a day, to get all of that arranged. So for a whole day, these guys are on this sunken submarine and they lost communication with the surface. Like they had a buoy, they had a telephone cable, but the cable snapped. So Uh they know that people know where they are. They don't know if they'll be able to get to them in time. Uh And so in my mind, when I think about lost, I think about that. Because uh, if you're in a pit of snakes, you can call for help. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. I mean, you know, you're not going to be like looking for random snake pits out in the middle of the woods without somebody with you, right?
1: Right. Now, you're not Indiana Jones. But if you're looking for the, um, oh, no, I can't even think of it. But if you're looking for the Ark.
0: Ark of the Covenant, yeah.
1: Right? Oh, yeah, Ark yeah. of the Covenant. Um, Ark of Triumph was coming to my yeah. head, and I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> um, then you don't necessarily have somebody with you. Well, or yeah. you do when they fall in the pit
0: with you. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, you know, you don't, if you're being chased by a bear, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the people with you. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Um. So for me, that's the place of, of, like, deep, dark danger where you don't know. And you can't, like, you can hear people in ships going over you, right? They were about 240 mm-hmm. feet deep. So it's, it's an impossible distance to, like, go swim that right right um very unlikely with the technology of the time um that they could even get out much less get out swim to the surface and then not have to go through some form of decompression to get to get right um recreational divers go down to about 130 feet because of safety Um, you have Mm -hmm. to have special equipment to go deeper so That, to me, is like the place of ultimate danger, the place of rescue. But what Paul is saying is that, theologically, you're in a place of deep danger without Christ. And so he sees his people, the Jewish people, the Messiah, the the Messiah Jesus has come to them, the one who God promised to send to them to deliver them has come, and not all of his people have accepted jesus as the messiah jesus as their savior and that puts them in a place of ultimate peril and i think that's where when you remember how connected paul is to his extended family are you close with like Mm -hmm. your cousins some of them yeah
1: some of them i mean my my cousins range really far in age
0: for me so Paul, like his connections to those family members, like it's it's super, super tight. And so for him, like he sees all these people who are not. Rescued. And he wants to get them, he wants to he wants to provoke them, he wants to say, look, you need this. And so he goes through and he talks about um, how close it is to understand about Jesus. And he uses something that that goes back to the Old Testament because he's talking to Jewish people. They know the Old Testament. And there's this part where Moses, who got the law from God, brings it to the Jewish people, and he says, look, here it is. Just do this, right? God has provided us with the law. We just have to understand it and act on this, and everything will be fine. Paul sort of picks that up and says, look, you don't have to go up to heaven to find the gospel. Jesus, like, it's right here. I just told you about it. You don't have to descend to the bottom of uh, the ocean to find it. It's right here. You don't have to cross the sea. It's right here. And mm-hmm. so what he's really doing is he's poking. He's poking his his people because he wants them to believe. And you get down to like verse 12 of chapter 10. Mm. Well, let's do this. Nine. If you declare with your mouth, well, go at eight. What does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, that's a declaration of legal righteousness. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I use this example in church. Um, look, if, if somebody knocks, if I'm in that submarine and somebody knocks on the door, I don't care if it's the Russians. I'm going to get out. Right. Uh, it could be space aliens. I'm, I'm down. Uh, take me to your planet. Uh, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that the place that I'm in is not going to, it's not going to do it. It's not going to, it's not a place of safety. It's a place of danger. And so one of the things that Paul says here that that can be a little bit confusing, if you declare with your mouth, and so that the question is, um, the standard for getting into a right relationship with God is to believe in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, period. The profession, like speaking orally about it, is really just you'll talk about what your heart is full of, right? If your heart is full of something, you're going to talk about it, Um, football fans, right? We just had the Super Bowl. What were they talking about?
1: Football fans? Yeah. They were talking about the teams and whether or not they liked Taylor Swift.
0: Yeah. Um, Taylor Swift. Uh, that, that's actually great because now we have three different things. Usher, Taylor Swift, and the football game, and the commercials. Which of the four were you most excited about?
1: I normally mean, like the commercials, but... No. They didn't I didn't pay attention to him as much because
0: they're
1: not I mean I like her stuff, but no, not
0: You're not a raving fan. No. I'm not either. I don't I don't even know her name.
1: But music. if I got gifted tickets to go see her in concert, yeah, sure, but I'm not gonna spend money on it. I, you know?
0: <laughs> there's a movie, right? That, didn't she put out a movie about the tour? About the he, Well, she
1: put out a movie which I think is essentially the tour. Yeah like it's, it'd be it's like you were a at the
0: show. concert i mean i wouldn't necessarily like if you got given four tickets and was like hey grant and i are going to go to this concert do you and Ruth Ann want to go probably not you know but i would wish you well and i'm sure it would be a good show right it would be worth going to right
1: yeah
0: especially if the tickets were free exactly it just takes a lot to move me out of the house where i love being What Paul's saying here is that if it's on your heart, if your heart is full of something, it's going to come out your mouth. You're going to talk about it. And you can think of any number of different things that people are excited about the game. Most of the people in this area were just still salty that the lions didn't make it. That's probably the biggest thing that I've seen on Facebook is like "Eh, lions. Okay. So next year's your year, I guess. Um, People who were fans, um, you know, a lot of people were fans of the food. For Super Bowl parties, a lot of people oh, yeah. were, you know, um, Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, that whole thing. He didn't propose after the game, which I don't know if she's upset or not. She'll probably write a song. They have
1: only been dating for a couple of months. Like, yeah, whatever.
0: They're America's power couple.
1: <laughs> for now,
0: we're all about the stories, right? <clears throat> if it's on your mind, it's on your mouth. It's it's the thing that you're going to talk about. It. It's the thing that's going to. Um, it's just going to come out. And that's where I think, you know, for Christians, if they really truly understand, like uh, the guy that got rescued from the submarine, like if you pulled this guy out of the submarine in the 1930s, there were uh, 33 guys, they all got rescued, and the last diving bell full of the last six guys almost didn't make it. You know what Papa's going to tell his kids and grandkids? He's going to be talking about, you wouldn't believe when I was a young man, I was on the submarine. They rescued me. Oh, there he goes again. Papa's talking about it one more time. Yeah. You know why? Because that was a huge event in his life. Mm-hmm. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's It's life-changing. It's uh, you know paradigm-shifting, mind-altering um Enough to get me a little crazy, like a little crazy in my eyes, right? Because I think (laughs) this idea is so exciting, especially because there are people who are not saved. And that's, you know, we don't don't necessarily like that idea. That's a hard idea. But do we not like that idea enough to do something about it? And that is what he says in the last section, right? How can they call on one they've not believed in, 1014? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching it to them? How can they preach unless they're sent? And this is where the word preach has gotten kind of a bad reputation, right? When I say the word preach, what do you what do you think about?
1: You in the sanctuary talking.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, me in the sanctuary. Okay, all right, that's good. I'm glad you don't have any negative associations there. Um, the dictionary, when it talks about preaching, it talks about like scolding people with um like calling out morals and just kind of like the finger wagging preacher. Oh yeah. And I'm Fire you know, and Brimstone preacher. <clears throat> Fire and brimstone. And I mean there's <clears throat> there's a place for that, right? When when scripture talks about those kind of things. I, I'm I have to talk about those kind of things. But I like the way that my semin one of my seminary professors said this. When you talk about sin you should do it with tears in your eyes. Because of a deep recognition that I am a sinner. And so when I When I enter into the pulpit, it's certainly not with an awareness of, oh, I'm better than anybody. No, I'm just the guy that got put in the spot, right? This is something that God enables me to do. And so when I talk about sin, it's certainly not because I'm any better than anybody. I'd like to think about, um, like, so theology is the thing that I study, and I can try to talk about it and make it understandable to regular people. Mm -hmm. Your car mechanic is the same guy. He just does it with your car, right? And he's trying to help you understand what it's going to take to fix your car or to keep your car running. And he's going to try and translate it, that into like normal language. Or your doctor is going to try and describe, here's what you have to do to be healthy, all those kind of things. I'm just a theology mm-hmm. guy, and I'm trying to help people understand theology. Um, and so the word preach should be you should think about that in this context as tell because when you go to the Greek dictionary and you just kind of nerd out for a minute it says to propagate the Christian message in the broadest way possible so who's the preacher everybody mm-hmm. because there are people who will listen to you who would never come talk to me right right um, and I like I don't know. Sometimes it it, it was an epiphany for me. So I used to be a truck driver, right? So I get out of my truck and I'm walking to the restroom at a rest area and I'm wearing, you know, boots and work clothes and I'm probably just thinking about something. So I have this look on my face that's kind of like this, kind of a scowl. Mm -hmm. Someone got off the sidewalk into the grass to walk around me. And I was (laughs) like, what in the world? I, th- I think I intimidated them. And yeah. then when I was I was teaching at the Bible College, and we would um, solicit feedback, and one of my feedbacks um, was, you're kind of scary because <laughs> you're really big and you don't smile a lot. And I was like, me? Scary? <laughs> I, Alyssa, do you think I'm scary? No. Oh, okay, good, right. Uh, I think Fiona is more scary than I am. Fiona's your little girl. <laughs> but what I did later, I, I would go to class and I would, I would be like, all right, guys, so I got this feedback and so I'm going to just smile at you once and call it good. So I would go from one side of the room to the other, just with this big stupid smile on my face and look at everybody and say, okay, now can we move on? <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I've gotten feedback before where, you know, I don't really understand your sense of humor. It's like, okay, that, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that's where I'll connect with people that you won't connect with. You'll connect with people that I won't connect with. Grant, who is fantastic at connecting with people. Everybody who knows the gospel is someone. And I used mm-hmm. a couple different examples. There's there's one, um, Nabil Qureshi, who was a Muslim. A Christian befriended him in college, and it was just a genuine friendship. And in that friendship, they just talked about their different faiths. And Nabil realized, like, that what he thought was the foundation of his faith wasn't really the foundation of his faith, and he started asking his own questions, and he came to faith. I uh, wrote a great book called "Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus." There's another one by Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria Butterfield was a liberal, uh, lesbian English professor at a college, so uh, her book is called "The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert," and it was like. Yeah, she's pretty unlikely because which one of these church people is going to go and have a relationship and a friendship with her? Turns out, retired pastor and his wife said, would you like to come over for dinner? And so she's like, yeah, I'd love to come over and debunk your faith. Okay, let's just have dinner. Let's just start with dinner. And they became friends. And they had dinner multiple times. And eventually she started asking questions. Because someone cared enough about her as a person just to have a relationship with them. And I get so frustrated <clears throat> with Christians who are <laughs> n- never look for ways to be around non-Christians. Because how in the world are we ever? Now now there are certain non-Christians you should be careful of, right? If you have a problem right. with alcohol and you uh, you're recovering from that kind of thing, you shouldn't be around people who are drinking because that's a danger for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, boy-girl things, we have to be mindful of good boundaries in our personal relationships with people of the opposite sex. That's just, you know, good good common sense. But if Christians never interact with un- non-Christians, how are they going to hear the gospel? How are they going right. to hear from someone? And it doesn't have to yep. be preaching. It can just be talking, and it can be over dinner. That was one of the things when we were at uh, the last church, <clears throat> I would invite. I invite people to church all the time. I mean, you, I got my Shoreline swag on today, even on my mm-hmm. day off. Uh, I'm using my great big wide shoulders mm-hmm. and big chest as a billboard. Come to Shoreline, let's have fun. Um, but I would invite people to church. I would stop at the same coffee shop every day, get a cup of coffee, chit chat with everybody, and um, <clears throat> I would invite them to church. Hey, yeah, we're having service on Sunday at this time. Why don't you come out and see us? It's a lot of fun. Blah blah blah. One person came. Invited probably, I don't know, 20. But we also had a small group at our house, and our small group started with food, um, usually prepared by my wife, and that's, that's always a treat. Five people from that coffee shop came for dinner and stayed and hung out and chatted and talked. And I think that's like we have to decentralize some of the ministry and it's not always, oh, the pastor will talk to him about the gospel. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. You're the someone. The, the ball's in your court, and it's yours to talk about. Right. So that's where I think um, Paul's really kind of focusing in on chapter 10. Someone has to share the gospel, and we're someone. And so do that. I think I'm done. Okay. <laughs> So um, maybe next week I should bring some trivia for you. I should bring trivia for you next week. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I can't hear you when you play
0: the music. (laughs) You can't hear me? Yeah, I should bring trivia for you next week so that you have to figure out some answer. I don't know about that. Random corner of the internet where questions start. (laughs) I hope you have a great day.